Welcome to another edition of Awaken to Grace. Today we're in James chapter 5, and we are in part 2 of our current sermon on how to grow your capacity to pray effective prayers. Throughout this uh, sermon, especially in the first part, we're talking about how God doesn't just respond to prayer as many people believe, and that's why so much prayer seems ineffective. The Bible teaches that God responds to one type of praying, and that's praying in faith. And the Bible tells us how to do that. Today we're going to learn the kind of praying that moves the hand of God in part two of our current sermon, how to grow, how to expand your capacity for effective praying. Bible says concerning a double-minded man who's not a person of faith, the Bible says in James, that person should suppose that they will receive nothing from the Lord. So when we talk about church, I want us to be careful. As we prepare toward this big healing service and we're working our way through the God of series and all this and that, let me tell you what's going to happen. People are going to begin to ask you questions about your church, and you know they'll inquire this, inquire that. Uh, here's what here's what I want to be careful of. You know, when we talk about church, we we love to talk about the surface level things. We love to say, "Well, how many of you, how many of y'all running down there? How many of y'all got going down there at Preaching Christ Church? You ever heard anyone say that? We're so bad for that. Well, what's your music like? Anybody ever ask you that? What's your music like? Oh, people won't come unless it's their preference of music, right? Some people. You know what I find fascinating? When you read Paul's letters to the church, to the New Testament church, when you read through the letters, here's what Paul asks the church. Paul says, how's your faith doing? You read, read your Bible and see if you ever, ever encounter Paul saying, how's the music program going? What kind of songs y'all doing down there? What, what, have, you, have you guys learned anything new lately? What, what are you doing? You still doing the old songs of faith? What, what's going on? No, he never said that. I dare you to find somewhere where God says, how's your budget doing? Paul writing, are, are you guys up or down? Uh, what kind of growth you seeing? Where, where, where's the budget? No. no, when Paul wrote to a church, he only asked, how's your faith doing? You know why? Because that's the only thing the Lord measures. We measure all the wrong things. Come on now, get with me right now. You understand? And I'm so thankful for this season that God has closed my eyes. Because let me tell you, I don't know how many people's here today. I have no idea. I have no idea. No clue. And the best part is, I don't care. Because on this day, when I stand before God and I give an account for January 27, 2019, God is not going to measure us on our attendance. God will not measure our budget. You know what God's going to measure by? How was the faith of the church that day? Did your faith grow? Did your faith strengthen? Did your faith increase? Because the Bible says in Luke 18 that when Christ comes back to the earth, he's looking for a certain type of people. And do you know what that people is he's looking for? People of faith. Read the Bible. 
people of faith. And I want to be a person that I'm growing. I'm growing in Christ and I'm growing in faith. So I want to ask you a question today. How's your faith? Because some of you are so discouraged because you say, Chad, I see God answer this prayer and that prayer. God never answers my prayer. Are you praying prayers of faith? Because that's the only thing that's going to move God. You can pray all day long. Pray in your own strength. It'll get nowhere. Pray in your own ability. It'll get nowhere. Pray according to your own will. It'll get nowhere. Pray according to your own desires. You won't get anywhere. But you begin to pray in faith. And then something begins to happen in the heavenlies. Amen. It's the prayer of faith that God honors. And my only concern, I'm just telling you, my only concern is that your faith grows. I'm not worried about your self-esteem. You understand? I'm not a motivation speaker. I'm not an inspirational speaker. I'm worried about your faith today. Where is the level of your faith? Because it's the only thing that God honors. It's the only thing he blesses. It's the only thing that pleases him. It's the only thing he'll recognize. It's the only thing he'll respond to. Where is your faith? The prayer of faith will heal the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And then watch what it says. Then it says, and if you've committed sin... I love how he says that. And if you've committed sin, how many of you know the likelihood of that is really high? Right? What about your own life? Is the odds pretty good you've committed sin? And what's it say? You'll be forgiven. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned and they hid from God, do you know that transfers over to our very DNA? Do you know you and I hide from God? Listen, don't hide your sin from the Lord. Don't hide your sin. Because the Bible promises and those who have committed sin will be forgiven. So what are we hiding for? And now, now this is a big key and watch what it says. Therefore, so here's the conclusion to James, to his thinking here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Now that's hard to do, right? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I love this combo. Uh, you know, I don't think any phrase of the Bible is, is by mistake. I don't think every word, I don't think any word is by mistake. I don't think, I, I, I believe what Jesus said, every jot and every tittle, in other words, every dotted I and every cross T is important and matters to God and will stand for all eternity. So why did James say, why didn't he say just pray for one another? Or why didn't he say just confess to one another? Why both? You know why? Because there's a great principle here. As, as we confess our sins to one another, we confess our faults to one another. And, and, and let me just say this. Let me just say this pastorally. So many of you are signing up in small groups. Praise God for that. Our goal was 120, and we have over 130 signed up right now. Praise God. As many of you are signing up for small groups, as your small group begins to pray, and your group deepens in prayer, do you know what's going to happen? People are going to begin to get vulnerable, and they're going to begin to share things. You're going to build community, and thing, people are going to share things that don't need to go outside that group that you're praying for each other about. 
I have many people who confide in me. And let me tell you, as much as I take, uh, as much as I guard anything in my life, I guard the confidentiality that people share with me. I am so confidential because I have this standard of where I'm not going to break the confidence of someone who shares something with me. But as you get in groups and as you become more of a person of prayer, and even as your own prayer life develops this year, you know what you'll find? You'll find people sharing hard things with you. You'll find people coming up to you and saying, I need you to pray about this. And they're going to confess things to you. They're going to share things with you. And here's what I want us to know as a church. We are never, ever to gossip about the confessions of others. Amen? We have to guard against that. When people confess things with us and to us, we guard that confidence. We take it to the Lord and to the Lord only in prayer. Because Christians are the world's worst. We're the world's worst that say, well, well, Bob, I wouldn't say nothing to you, but I know you'll pray for him. What? Why, why does he, you see what I'm saying? We, we say things in the name of, well, I wouldn't say nothing, but you'll pray for him. That's gossip. Don't do that. Rarely do I ever tell jokes when I preach, but this is one of my favorite little jokes. Can I tell you a little joke? Three Catholic priests one time went fishing, and one of them said, you know, we hear confessions all the time, and people come in and confess to us, and who do we have to confess to? So the one priest said, you know, I'll just be honest with you, uh, I lie. I lie a lot. I don't lie over huge things, just, you know, little things, little white lies here or there. Uh, I enjoy lying. The other priest said, well, he said, I, I embezzle. I embezzle money, and it's not a lot of money. He said, it's just more or less the thrill of doing it and getting away with it. And he said, you know, I just, I, I embezzle from my church. Third priest was super quiet. And they said, well, come on, come on, tell us. What, what's your greatest sin? You're not telling us. Come on, we're, we're telling you, you tell us. He just looked down and said, my greatest sin's gossip. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> really should have led with that one, right? I want you to understand this principle. This is why I think James says, confess your sins to one another. And then he says, pray for one another. Because here's the point. You don't gossip about the people you're praying for. You hear me? You don't gossip about the people you pray for. And you don't pray for the people you gossip about. You want to stop gossiping about someone? Get on your knees and really talk to God about them. You'll stop gossiping. You don't pray for the people you gossip about, and you don't gossip about the people you pray for. And that's why I think this combo is packed in this powerful verse. We confess our sins to one another. We pray for one another. And when we have that combo working, there's no room for gossip. And then what is the outcome? 
then, watch this, here's the outcome. The prayer of a righteous person will have great power as it is working. Now, can we understand this verse real quick today? If you're like me, when I think of the prayer of a righteous person, when I read that verse, I picture righteous people. I picture people that are on mountaintops with God. I picture people that I want to be like one day. I picture people that are leaps and bounds above me. People that I wish my life was like them or my prayer life was like them. And when I read that verse, I'm just being quite honest with you, I'm the last person I think of. So where my thinking goes is if I want my prayer to be effective, then I need someone who's righteous to pray for me. If I want my prayer to work, then I need to go to someone who's closer to God than I am and ask them to pray for me. But this isn't at all what James is talking about. Do you know what he's saying? Because in the next verse, he reminds us, he says, Elijah was a man of like nature. He had a nature just like us. In other words, he's saying Elijah wasn't a superhuman Elijah wasn't even a super Christian for that matter. Elijah didn't have anything on you that you don't have access to, that you don't have the ability of. Elijah was a man. He was flesh and blood, just like us. And yet this is how he prayed. That's what James would have you know. So I think God would have us back up today when we think of this idea of prayer, when we think of this idea of praying effectively, these effectual, righteous, effective, fervent prayers. What does it look like? He says, here's what it is, a righteous person. When he prays, we have great power as it's working. Now, what's a righteous person? Is it someone who never messes up? Someone who never blows it, someone who's never in a bad mood, someone who never gets sideways, someone who never sins. Oh, absolutely not. That's not a righteous person. You know what a righteous person is? It's someone who is found in Jesus Christ. It's someone who is made righteous through the work of Jesus. And that alone, when Peter wrote to his audience in 1 Peter 1, he begins the book by writing to the exile believers. And this is what he said to them, and he would say it to us because we're the body of Christ. This is what Peter said, that great apostle. This is what he said. To those who have a faith of equal standing to ours. Are you believing that? Would you put your faith on the category of the apostles? I wouldn't. Would you put your faith at that level of the great apostles? I would be like, uh-uh. But do you know what the word of God says? To those who have the faith, that's us, of equal standing to Paul and Peter and James and John. And Are you kidding me? You're saying our faith is of equal standing to theirs? Yes, and do you know why? Because of the next phrase. Because of the righteousness of of Jesus Christ. 
So watch what happens. You and I, who we know our faults, we know our failure, we know our weaknesses, we know our sins, we know our shortcomings. We can come before the throne of God, even though we are aware of all of that, and God certainly knows it. And what gives us access? What gives us ability? What gives us the way to the throne of God? The righteousness of Jesus, that and that alone. So when you and I come before the throne of God and we have this petition and we have this request and we have this need and we have this loved one and we have this burden and we have this trial and we have this circumstance and we bring this before the Lord, it's not us that's standing before the throne. It's not our ability. It's not our accreditation. It's not our merit. It's not our good works. It's not our motives. It's not our intentions. It is the righteousness of Jesus alone. And that's why we stand before the throne of God. Do you understand? Do you understand what gives your faith power? What gives your prayer power? It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. It's the righteousness of Jesus inside of you. That's what gives it power. That's what gives it the dunamis, the dynamite. That's what gives it power, not you. It's Jesus in you. And that's why it can grow and grow now as we grow to the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. As we grow up in him in every way. As we are rooted in him, built up in him. As we are established in our faith just as we are taught. As we are abounding in thanksgiving. We find ourselves always before the throne of God with an audience before the Lord. And what do we find just as Peter wrote? His ears are open to the righteous. His eyes are upon the righteous. And what does that look like for me and you? Yes, we fail. Yes, we come short. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we don't have much strength. Yes, we're in great need of grace and mercy. But because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we can come before the throne of God. So that begs the question, why do we do it so little? If access is there, if the invitation is open, why is prayer such a small part? Let me close with this today. Excuse me. Lord, help me. Help me right now. Help me to communicate, God, what your spirit would communicate to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17 says that Elijah was a man of like nature, like passions. Elijah was a man like us, and yet he prayed fervently that it would not rain on the earth. I find that odd. I find that odd. Why would he pray that? Does that not seem cruel to you? I've wondered that. God, why would he pray that, that it would not rain? Why? Why? I don't understand. And the Bible says that for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. 
You have to go to 1 Kings chapter 18 to understand the story. Israel had wicked rulers, Ahab and Jezebel. They turned the nation against God. They were worshiping Baal. The nation was in disarray. People were far from God, and it was awful. Elijah came to meet Ahab, and Ahab, in the first of chapter 18, he points to him and says, there is the troublemaker of Israel. And Elijah said, oh, I'm not the troublemaker. You're the one who's pointed people away from the one true God. They decide to meet on Mount Carmel. Not beside Churchill, the original one. (laughs) They decide to meet at Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, they gathered wood. They took an oxen. They offered a sacrifice. And they prayed to the God of Baal that fire would come down. All this was proposed by Elijah. I, I just, oh boy, I picture Elijah as the biggest, hairiest, baddest guy you've ever met. You know what I mean? Like, I just picture him as when he walks in the room, everybody knows he's in the room. And Elijah goes, we've been embattled with this thing for a long time. He said, I'm I'm paraphrasing. He says, let's, let's settle this. Let's settle this. You call upon your God. I'll call upon my God. Whoever sends fire down from heaven, that's who we'll worship. The prophets of Baal said, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Let's do it. The people of Israel said, yeah, let's do it. Everybody gathers for the big day. They're in drought. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. The prophets of Baal gather, and they're doing their whole thing, and God's not answering, and Elijah's so smart aleck about it. You can read it. It's in the Bible. He's like, where's your God at? He literally said, he said, is he relieving himself? (laughs) He said it. I'm telling you, Elijah's that type. He didn't care. He had no filter. I'm sure somebody said, he can't say that. (laughs) And he mocks them and makes fun of them. And obviously, Baal doesn't answer. And do you know what Elijah does? He prepares his altar according to the word of God. Twelve stones for all twelve tribes of Israel. He gathers the wood. He puts the oxen on the wood. And then he, tell, he does the unthinkable. He says, soak it with water. Man, I'm telling you right now, if I was a part of Elijah's administrative team, I'd be like, oh, God, what's he doing? And then they soak it with water. They're in a drought, and they soak it with water. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but if you're trying to build a fire, water's the last thing you're going to put on it, right? And he said, soak it again. At that point, I'd be going, he, he's lost it. He's done. He's finished. He's literally lost his head. After the second time, he said, soak it again. The Bible says they poured so much water over the wood and over the sacrifice that it filled the trench around the altar. That much water. And Elijah began to pray. What are we talking about? Effectual, righteous, fervent, powerful prayers. 
And Elijah began to pray, and as he prayed, God responded, fire fell from heaven, and it not only lit the wood on fire, it consumed everything. It even lapped up all the water in the trenches. And the Bible says that Israel fell on their face and said, the Lord, he is God. God showed his power on that day. Now, the problem was it still hadn't rained yet. Now, are you with me? Say amen if you're with me. The end of chapter 18 and around verse 41 through 46, 47, Elijah is with Ahab, and you can imagine the tension that's going on. And Elijah is with basically the leader, the president, the king of Israel. And here's what he said. Elijah said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to Mount Carmel. I'm going to, here's what he did. He distanced himself. He went off on his own. He went away. He isolated himself. He went alone. He got alone with God. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.